Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Seventh. It's good to be back. Um, glad to be here this Monday, um, going over more information with you guys, doing another show. Um, let's start with a minute of transparency, because my wife reminded me last week that uh, I failed to do it in the last episode. Uh, I think I think I talked a little bit about the coronavirus and being sheltered in place and. I don't think I called it the minute of transparency. I think I just was throwing information out there. So this week we're going to actually call it the minute of transparency. Uh, so let's do it. My thought for today is is kind of related to the whole coronavirus thing and sheltering in place. And I just wanted to ask you, how are you doing? Uh, obviously, there's many different perspectives, many different emotions uh, going on. And social media obviously puts them all on display for us as we see our our friends and our acquaintances and our our coworkers and and kind of you know their thoughts on how things are going for them for the world um, all of those things. But my question's for you: So where are you at on the spectrum? Uh, are you angry with the whole situation? Are you suspicious? that there's something more sinister going on, maybe like a, a political play by the current administration or uh, some bigger thing that we can't really see. Um, do you have fear, you know, fear over the virus, the economy, uh, your job or your career? Or are you kind of frozen in time, uh, like you're in a tunnel of sorts and you just can't even remember what day it is from day to day? Uh, for me... I would say my emotional state has been largely impacted by the fact that I still have a job and I'm able to work. Uh, so because of this, I'm sure that you know some of the fear and anxiety has been uh, kept at bay because of that. Uh, I can't even imagine what some people must be going through, uh, people who lost their jobs at the beginning and are in that difficult situation right now of, of uh, wondering if they'll be able to find another job, uh, wondering if they'll get their old job back. Uh, wondering if they'll have enough food to feed their families in the upcoming weeks. Uh, if that's your story, I just want to tell you how sorry I am and that uh, we're praying for you and your families and hoping that this all uh, blows over soon. Uh, the good news, if you can call it that, uh, this week it sounds like the conversation has turned from the uh, pandemic side of things to more of the economy side of things and the conversation is about opening the economy back up. Uh, I'm sure it will be a slow process, or at least starting out, um, and I have no idea how long it'll take or what it'll look like, but at least it's a start. So uh, looking forward, I know that things are going to be different. Uh, our future is not going to look like the past, for sure. Uh, there is no way that we can sweep something like this under the rug, I mean, it, as if it was just a blip on the radar. Uh, this is going to have a long-lasting effect on the economy, 
uh, on the way we interact with other people, and uh, definitely on our sense of security. Uh, in episode eight, we talked about the safety and security trap. And uh, at, at the time, I felt like, you know, it was something that all of us fell into, even though it was very difficult to see. You know, it's right in front of our face, and yet so many of us feel like, if I just do this or if I just do that, I'll be safe. You know, if I live in the right neighborhood, if I have the right car, uh, if I if I make enough money, if I put enough money away, uh, you know, I'll I'll be safe and I'll be secure. And, uh, you know, if, if there's one thing that this pandemic has taught us uh, is that life is fragile and it doesn't really matter how much money you have, where you live, uh, how many safety measures you put in place. Uh, it can literally all come crashing down overnight, which makes it even more important to understand the human condition and understand that we have the ability to make a choice in the controversy that exists in our world and we can live our lives accordingly um, knowing that uh, our futures are certain and regardless of how rocky it gets today um, our future is certain so again uh, i'm praying for you and your families uh, we are truly all in this together all right enough of that um, obviously these are very difficult times and that's actually one of the reasons why I decided to dive into this new series called Controversy Theory. Uh, it wasn't something I was really planning on doing, uh, but over the last month or so I've realized just how important it might be to do that now rather than later. Um, so I shifted some things around, I dusted off my old manuscript, and uh, I think we're able to make it happen this week. So here we go. Uh, today's topic is an introduction to controversy theory. And we're going to walk through the following uh, steps here. Uh, number one, the history behind controversy theory. Two, the human condition. Three, human nature. Four, human suffering. Five, human disturbance. And six, the basic assumptions of controversy theory. So let's start out with the history behind controversy theory. Uh, kind of where it came from, why I wrote it, what it's all about. Uh, Controversy Theory was a manuscript that I wrote back in 2000, 2001, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, I had just finished up my MSW program and I was starting out my career as a clinician. And as time went on, I, I couldn't shake the fact that I was struggling a bit. There was something that just wasn't working for me. And over time, I came to understand that my struggle was really due to an internal conflict I was having uh, between my faith and my career choice or my career path. Uh, I was a Christian, and I went to a Christian university, and I think somewhere in my head I, I just assumed that when I went to college uh, to be a clinician at a Christian university that you know the, the program would be somewhat tailored to that truth, right, to the fact that we're Christians and we're trying to help people and that there would be some level of like a Christian or spiritual element to the to the treatment modalities that we learned. But that wasn't the case at all, actually. Uh, it was a pretty traditional uh, educational experience, learning the, the history of psychology, the, the typical treatment modalities or, or pop culture modalities at the time. Um, and really, you know, faith and, and the spiritual side of things were really downplayed. Now, 
I fully understand why this is the case. Um, don't get me wrong. You you can't push your faith on another person. You know, especially when a when a person is coming to see you in a time of pain and suffering. You know, they aren't asking you for your spiritual uh, answers or your spiritual beliefs. Uh, but at the ta- at the same time, uh, it is very difficult to sit there with a person, knowing uh, that if you're if you're patient or client, as we were taught to refer to them, uh, if, if they just had faith in something and really understood that faith, uh, that it might ease their suffering in some way. Uh, around that same time, I remember hearing at least one pastor say on a weekend, um, I used to do counseling, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Uh, I just had to tell people the truth in the moment, and it got me in trouble. Uh, now as a pastor, I get to stand up here and I get to say all of those things to the room and the person in the room who needs to hear it will hear it at the right time, in the right moment, and in a very non-confrontational way. And when I heard that, I just knew that's my problem. That's me. As a counselor, I, I had found myself shackled by the, the rules and the restrictions that came along with the profession with the, the, you know, the professional counseling relationship with a client. Um, but as a writer or blogger, podcaster, teacher, trainer, mentor, etc., I mean, I can, I'm allowed to say what I need to say. And then, you know, people can take it and use it or they can reject it and move on. Uh, but in any of these situations, I'm no longer the bad guy if I say what I feel or if I put my beliefs out there. And so that kind of began the journey, uh, me trying to figure out how to express my faith and my desire to help hurting people at the same time. Uh, so the, the theory that I was creating in my head uh, eventually became controversy theory. So having just been through grad school, um, I obviously had no problem writing large amounts of content in short periods of time. Uh, so the ideas just flew out of my head and onto the paper. And it was really... It was an internal struggle born out of necessity, right? A theory that made sense to me, how how we experience life, what the human condition really is, uh, how we can navigate it well, uh, things like that. And so that's kind of how everything started. Now, it's important to insert a little caveat here uh, before we move on any further. Um, The concepts in controversy theory aren't mine, right? I don't own them. I didn't come up with them. Most of them are universal truths from the Bible. Um, they're, you know, based on Christianity. Um, they're constants, spiritual constants that exist and impact each of us. I literally just took these concepts and organized them into a theory, um, you know, to help us understand things like where we came from, uh, why we're here, and where we're going. So these uh, controversy theory refers to these as the big three questions, uh, and we'll talk more about these in an upcoming episode. But while I was having all of these ideas, I was also, you know, still reading and studying and following the works of other clinicians in the field, you know, older psychiatrists and psychologists who had developed their own theories over time. Um, And so I just wanted to walk through a couple of these so you kind of got an idea of where my brain was at while I was uh, thinking through the the initial information for controversy theory. So there was Dr. William Glasser. 
he is known as the father of reality therapy. Uh, and over his career, he developed a, a theory called control theory, or what he now refers to as choice theory. And so he wrote a book called Choice Theory, but he also wrote a book called Reality Therapy uh, that I was reading, and, and I really connected with it. And so I took the concept of choice theory, and um, or I should say what he did is he took the concept of choice theory and he operationalized it in his book, Reality Therapy. And he operationalized it for clinicians, um, but also as just a self-help book that the average person could uh, pick up and, and learn something from. Similarly, uh, Dr. Albert Ellis, uh, the father of Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, um, wrote numerous books based on his theory. Uh, books like The Handbook of Rational Emotive Therapy, uh, How to Make Yourself Happy and Remarkably Less Disturbable, uh, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, A Therapist's Guide, uh, books like that. Uh, and then you had uh, Dr. Aaron T. Beck, uh, who we consider the father of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, who also wrote you know, many books based on his theory. So each of these clinicians seemed to work the same way to me, right? They, they developed a working theory first, and then they wrote books that helped operationalize that theory. You know, books that offered practical and specific applications uh, to people who wanted to make positive changes in their lives using their theory, right? Their, their theoretical framework that they came up with. So this is where my brain was at when I started to write controversy theory. So controversy theory was to be the overarching theory, kind of explaining why life is the way it is and, you know, the, the constants that impact each of us. And then the next step was for me to write a book called Conscience Driven Therapy. And that was going to be a practical guide to dealing with the human condition. And so that's what I set out to do, um, with one exception. Um, though I do love the theories put forth by Glasser, Ellis, and Beck, um, I also realize that there is no spiritual element to those theories, right? Each of those treatment modalities is viewing the individual as the expert. So your client is the expert, and they have everything within him or herself in order to get better, right? There's no need for faith or spirituality, it's just a matter of you just need to change your thinking or you just need to change your behaviors, you know, and if you just do that well enough and for long enough, then you'll be fine. So I knew that my theory needed to be a combination of two elements, the first being the spiritual truths and constants from the Bible, truths about our origin, our purpose, and our final destination, and then solid psychological concepts that help people understand, um, you know, how to understand their thinking, their feeling, and their behaving. But just as things were getting interesting, life happened. So I moved into that family phase, right, with, with wife, kids, coaching soccer and hockey, going to dance recitals, plays, school programs, etc. All good stuff, um, but it became very difficult to maintain my focus on writing you know, with all the distractions, uh, unless you're a really structured and motivated person, which I mustn't have been at the time. So, so at the same time, I also transitioned out of the mental health field, 
Uh, I, I started working as a web director at a local church, building websites, overseeing digital strategies, etc. And it really wasn't until 2012, I think, uh, that I started to get that itch to write again. But when I started to write, it, it really wasn't controversy theory. Uh, it was more an idea I had for a novel, and I, I put a fair amount of time and research into that. Um, but just like controversy theory, it, it slowly faded out, you know, because of life and responsibilities and basically laziness as well. So then in 2019, uh, Transcend Human became a thing. So the ideas just kept coming and coming, and eventually I decided, you know, this has to be a podcast. And so that's where this podcast came from. And as I started diving deeper into the world of uh, Transcend Human, it started to become clear that all of the work I did back in the day on controversy theory was actually laying a foundation for Transcend Human. In fact, many of the ideas that I was coming up with for the podcast were in some way related to concepts that I had already written about in controversy theory. So with each, ep with each passing episode, um, you know, it was getting harder and harder for me to sweep it under the rug. You know, the, the connection between the two was becoming uh, too great to ignore. So I decided that, you know, I just, I can't put it off any longer. I really need to walk through controversy theory uh, as soon as possible on the podcast. And by putting it all out there, hopefully I would be laying a solid foundation for why Transcend Human exists and, um, you know, for future conversations that we're going to have on the podcast. So, so that brings us to today, right? This is where we're at, um, and that's why we're jumping into controversy theory. So let's take it from the top um, and start talking about the human condition. Uh, at, at this point, the concept of the human condition should be pretty well ingrained in your minds, uh, at least for those of you keeping up with the Trans and Human podcast. Um, the human condition was definitely one of those concepts that I, I started to see showing up over and over again uh, in podcast episodes. And one of the things that led me to, you know, to really think back through controversy theory and, and how it could apply to the podcast. So for those of you who have, uh, you know, kept up with us on the podcast, I'm going to apologize in advance because we are going to go over this again. Uh, at least for a few minutes, uh, and then, you know, we'll come back to it in more detail later in the series. But but this is really foundational. And for those of you jumping in for the first time, um, you know, jumping in just to this series, uh, it's a concept that we really need to have nailed down uh, in order to understand and build out the theory. So in episode three, we defined the human condition as the totality of the human experience as seen through these three areas, the life journey from birth to death, and that includes major milestones like childhood, graduations, uh, relationships, marriage, divorce, children, stuff like that. And it also includes everyday life experiences, right? So just the simple things that we run through every day, uh, interactions with family, friends, acquaintances, strangers, um, and, and things that can be as traumatic as uh, car accidents or things like that. And then number two, it involves our medical condition from birth to death. So, you know, any medical condition that we may or may not experience during our lifetime, um, if there are medical 
issues, you know, the impact it has on our ability to function, our uh, ability to remain emotionally stable, things like that. And then number three, our mental health. So the way that we think, feel, and behave in response to the life experiences we go through uh, and the medical conditions that we face. So the human condition is the totality of our life journey, our medical conditions, and our mental health throughout our life. So really, the, the human condition is our state of existence, right? It's the human nature. It's what we call um, life as we know it. Yeah, so people uh, use the phrase, it is what it is. Uh, they're really referring to the fact that some things happen regardless if you want them to or not. Uh, and the human condition is that way, right? It is what it is. It's the, the existence that we find ourselves in. And though we do have some level of control over our response to the human condition, uh, the human condition itself is largely made up of things that happen to us. Uh, and these things can either be positive or negative. So for example, if we were to look at the positive and negative in each of those three areas, um, let's just look at, so in, in your life journey, uh, we'll just say that one of the positives could be marriage. I would hope that it's a positive, but I guess that isn't always the case for everyone. Um, you know, so a positive could be marriage and a negative um, event in your life journey could be losing a loved one, a parent, a child, a sibling, a coworker, etc. Uh, when you look at your medical condition, you know, a positive could be living your whole life without ever getting a serious illness like cancer or Alzheimer's. Uh, a negative could be experiencing lower back pain at a young age and having to stop playing a sport that you love. Uh, and then looking at mental health, you know, a, a positive could be that you are taught right from wrong at a very young age and that you're capable of making good decisions versus a negative, which could be, you know, falling for the lie that you are overweight and giving into, you know, thoughts and behaviors that lead to anorexia, um, very negative situation. So those are just examples of, you know, how there are positive and negative things, uh, as part of the human condition. So let's move into human nature. So there's, there's a dark side to the human condition, a side that's pretty much all negative all the time. And so we're going to walk through a number of different concepts uh, related to that. So human nature is one of those things, right? And the dark side is made up of, of these three pieces. So there's human nature, human suffering, and human disturbance. So let's start with human nature. Human nature is a constant that arrived when the controversy began. So this is a, a constant, just like gravity. You know, nobody argues that gravity exists. All you have to do is go jump up and down or jump off of a, a ledge and you're going to fall, right? Because gravity is a constant that exists. And human nature is the same, same way. Uh, our human nature is a direct result of the sin virus, and it is passed down genetically from generation to generation. Uh, it isn't something that evolves or changes or gets better with time. It's, it's just there for all of us all the time. Uh, you could, you could kind of describe it this way, right? So it's the underlying angst uh, that afflicts the human race. 
um, to summarize it, you could say uh, it's, it's always easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing. Or being good is usually harder than being bad. So most of us would agree that, you know, kindness, tolerance, and love are not typically part of our human nature. Whereas being prone to selfishness, self-preservation, greed, intolerance, that those are much more part of our human nature. So for example, uh, we humans are prone to be selfish, right? It isn't learned. It isn't something that we need to teach people or teach kids. Um, It just is what it is. We see this illustrated in in kids, you know, from, from the minute they come out of the womb, they expect the world to revolve around them. This is human nature at work. In fact, we know that without consistent parental intervention, uh, this pattern of selfishness will continue on into adolescence and eventually adulthood. So that's human nature. Next, we have human suffering. So similar to human nature, human suffering is another constant that's brought on by the controversy and ultimately by the sin virus. Given that we just talked about human nature, um, the idea that selfishness, self-preservation, greed, and intolerance are more likely to occur than their positive counterparts, uh, we should logically conclude that human suffering is more likely to occur than human happiness. So things like war, racism, violence, abuse, pollution, littering, defacing the earth, drug use, addiction, gambling, human trafficking, genocide, religious intolerance, hate crimes, extortion, embezzlement, disease, and ultimately death are all things that are produced out of our human nature and lead to human suffering. But human suffering isn't just something that is caused by human nature and our bad behavior. The sin virus also impacts the physical earth, right? So the sin virus really impacts two elements. It creates human suffering in human nature and to us as humans, but it also impacts the physical earth, which leads to an environment that can be hostile and ultimately cause human suffering. So this can be seen in things like hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, earthquakes, severe weather, extreme temperatures, um, you know, earthbound diseases that impact foliage, animals, food production, global warming, um, you know, and the list goes on and on. So all of these are examples of things that can increase human suffering. And they're all things that we have little to no control over. So human suffering, regardless of which form it takes, is here to stay. It exists simply as a byproduct of the controversy. But lucky for us, it won't be around forever. And then finally, we have human disturbance. Human disturbance grows out of our human nature, right? So those those little things that we're born with and need to work through during childhood and adolescence... Um, prior to our adult DNA being fully formed. Uh, and it's, it's made up of our thinking, our behaving, and our feelings. So thoughts, actions, and emotions, right? Those are the, the three main elements that are impacted by human disturbance. Uh, and it includes both good and bad, obviously, in each of these areas. 
But because of this, this is why parenting is such a huge stopgap, uh, you know, between when we are born and what we will be, become in the future. So in loose terms, okay, we're going to really do some stereotyping here. Uh, in, in very loose terms, bad parenting uh, can have the following impact, right? It can allow the defects that a child was born with to grow unchecked and become ingrained into their adult DNA. And in some cases, bad parenting can make these defects even worse. So in cases where a parent teaches their child even less desirable habits or is somewhat controlling or overly demanding or abusive toward the child, uh, you know, they can make things even worse. Conversely, good parenting can have the following impact. It can help a child understand their human nature for what it is. Uh, good parenting can teach new alternatives to these defective behaviors. Uh, good parenting can help a child be proactive in life, uh, help them set boundaries so that they can make better decisions in the future. Um, and, and hopefully all of these would lead to a more healthy adult DNA. Now, important caveat about parenting. Uh, there is no guarantee that doing the right thing will lead to the right outcome, right? There's a really strong correlation, and I would highly recommend that you do everything in your power to be the best parent that you can possibly be for your child. But there is no quid pro quo, right? The equation isn't this. The equation is not good parenting in, good child out, or bad parenting in, bad child out. Uh, and this is just part of living. It's just part of the human condition. Uh, you could do all the right things as a parent and still have a child go down the wrong path in life, even winding up in prison or hurting people. And similarly, you could be a terrible parent uh, and have a child that embraces their freedom to choose the right path. And maybe they break out of that negative cycle that they were born into. Uh, you know, it all comes down to freedom of choice. And that leads us to the good news about the human disturbance. So we were all born with a defective human nature, right? We have no control over that. Uh, and we experience human suffering due to the way that people act and the hostile environment that we live in. We have little to no control over that. But human disturbance is the one area where we can start to take back some of that control. Uh, thanks to our freedom of choice, uh, we are able to make decisions in life that reflect a power over our defects, right? Power over what people say and do to us, power over the difficulties that we go through in life. So the three areas, again, in, in human disturbance is our thinking, our behaving, and our feelings. And it's really important to understand a number of things about these three elements. So you can only directly control two of the three, okay? you can only directly control two of the three. And the third, you can control, but only indirectly by controlling the other two. So here's what you can control. The two that you can control are your thinking and your behaving. So your thinking is basically the way you choose to look at things, the way you think about things, the things you believe about people or the world around you. And your behaving those are your actions, right? The things that you do in life, your physical behaviors, your habits, the, the things that you choose to do. Those are 
two areas in your life where you have a huge amount of control. Now the other, your feelings, you cannot control. So your emotions, how you feel from minute to minute, um, emotions that just hit you out of the blue. I mean, those are things that happen no matter what, right? So these are things like fear, anxiety, anger, depression, uh, embarrassment, happiness, exhilaration, uh, an adrenaline rush, ecstasy, etc. cetera. Uh, these are all things that can just hit you out of the blue, regardless if you want them to or not. However, you are able to influence your feelings by either thinking differently or choosing to act in such a way that changes the strength or intensity of the feeling. And we'll spend more time on that, but those are very important things to understand about human disturbance is that you control some of that, right? You control your thinking and your behaving, which ultimately can impact the way you feel in life. All right, let's move on to the final section, uh, the basic assumptions of controversy theory. So ultimately, controversy theory was written for hurting people. Uh, I spent a lot of time explaining how I was struggling and how controversy theory helped me kind of reconcile the two elements of my clinical practice, right? My faith and my uh, the treatment modalities that I was supposed to use with people. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, controversy really all comes back to helping hurting people and the best way to help them stop hurting. So controversy theory was written to do the following. First, uh, it was meant to be like a clinical guide to helping hurting, hurting people, right? The, the big picture theory as to how you can integrate faith and psychology to help people. And second, I, I guess it was, it was kind of meant to be a self-help guide for hurting people who chose to read it. Uh, you know, a, a person should be able to pick up controversy theory, read it through and get something out of it. You don't, you don't have to be a clinician or have a uh, therapy mindset uh, in order to understand the concepts in the book. It's just a theory. So, you know, each, each chapter in the book uh, is kind of meant to help develop the theory one piece at a time. So we just walked through the introductory chapter of the book, and, um, you know, there are a few summary chapters at the end. But in the middle, you know, the main content is really broken down into chapters, and each chapter is what I call a basic assumption of the theory. So the basic assumptions uh, of controversy theory are the, are the 15 things that kind of make up the theory, the meat of the theory, if you will. Uh, and each one helps to flesh out an important concept for the reader as they learn more about the theory. So this is our next step. Um, you know, today was a kind of a high-level overview looking at the human condition and, and how we're impacted by that, the human nature, human suffering, human disturbance. And then really the rest of the book kind of sets the tone for why does that exist and what can we do about it. So that's it for today. Um, next week we're going to dive into the first basic assumption, and that is called A Controversy Exists. Uh, and then we'll work our way through the rest of the 15 uh, one at a time after that. So 
Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It was great having you here today. Um, I love that I get to do this with you, and I can't wait for this series to get going. I can't wait to see how it plays out in the future. Um, As always, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at info at transcendhuman.com. Head over to the website to uh, get more information, um, get documents on our uh, mission, vision, and values, learn more about our beliefs. And there's always show notes uh, for each episode that you can go check out um, and kind of use as a guide uh, to help walk back through the content. Or uh, sometimes I'll have links in the show notes so that you can uh, get to more information on, on the things that I was talking about. So that should be it for today. Um, thanks again for joining us. And until next week, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.